It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. It's 10 minutes after 8. Now, a new report by Amnesty International so shows that little has changed for lawnmen miners working at Marikana. The report, entitled Smoke and Mirrors, um, Lawnmen's Failure to Address Housing Conditions at Marikana, finds that lawnmen is in breach of its legal agreement with the South African government. In that agreement, lawnmen were supposed to improve housing at the mine and even though this was not achieved government still hasn't enforced the deal or revoked lawnmen's aligning mining license and um, just looking at it in august 2012 uh, 34 people died in events leading up and during a strike by mine workers at the lawnman mine a commission of inquiry concluded that inadequate living conditions for mine workers at marikana was a contributing factor to the terrible events of 2012 but Today, of course, uh, marks four years on. And the question we are asking this morning is whether there's been justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre. And joining us for the discussion this morning, uh, David van Veek from uh, the Benchmarks Foundation. Good morning. Thanks for coming through. Good morning and thank you for having me. Uh, we also have with us a uh, community activist uh, in Marikana, uh, Chris Molibati. Chris, thanks for your time this morning. No, thanks a lot, my sister, for giving me a time to speak to you. And um, we have been trying to get hold of uh, Sue Vey from Lonman um, unsuccessfully and uh, Joseph Matunjwa, um, who is, of course, uh, the uh, president of AMCU. Uh, Mr. Matunjwa, I'm uh, just trying to see if he is there with us. Uh, apparently not, uh, but he will join us shortly, as I understand. So um, in the meantime, uh, let's speak to David and Chris. Uh, David, I want to start with you. It's a simple question. Four years on, what has happened? Has there been any form of justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre? Well, I think um, we can categorically say no, there hasn't been it. We can categorically say no, there hasn't been any uh, justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre, um, simply because uh, a lot of the, a lot of water has gone under the bridge. There's been a commission of inquiry. The commission of inquiry made recommendations to the government, to the mining company, to shareholders of the mine, mining company, and yet none of those recommendations, except for uh, the recommendations relating to the police and Ria Piecha, have been carried out. Now, the problem with, with that is that we said as the Benchmarks Foundation, before the commission started, we should look at the mining industry as a whole and the problems within the industry and the problems with the regulation of that particular industry in the country and not just at the six days that led to the massacre itself because the massacre was an event uh, symptomatic of underlying problems within the industry as a whole, problems relating to the law, problems relating to the constitution, and problems relating to the underlying conditions in which communities surrounding mines live. And if you were just to go into that a little bit, you know, what are some of those problems? Well, first of all, the migrant labor system in this country is inherited from apartheid. It's a cheap labor system which uh, had workers housed in hostels, single men's hostels, which were appalling. They were Nazi-like concentration camp-style housing. And at the time of the Farham Commission, when we visited Lonman Mines hostels, we saw 8 to 10, 12 workers sometimes in a room living there. Farham himself visited that. And at that particular point, Lonman was already almost 
eight, nine years into the um, uh, agreements that it had made with regard to its social and labor plan to convert those hostels into uh, family accommodation. Since the Farlem Commission, they have converted those hostels into family accommodation. However, where they could house 15,000 people before in the hostels, they can now uh, basically house about 3,000 people. So the bulk of the people, about 13,000 or more people, are now living in the squatter camp of Ikaneng, and the conditions in the squatter camp are absolutely appalling. Whose responsibility is it, though, to see to it that people are adequately housed? Well, I think that this is where the legislative problem comes in. The MPRDA, that's the Minerals Petroleum Resources Development Act, gives this responsibility to the Department of Mineral Resources. And the prime responsibility of mineral resources is to promote mining. Instead of giving this responsibility to the Department of Housing or the Department of Urban Development or, 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 or the relevant department, the same goes with environmental legislation and labor legislation and health and safety uh, regulations. The, the Department of Mineral Resources has become a super department that does not have the capacity to actually enforce the very law that gives it a superpowers and has relegated other departments in the country to secondary departments in mining. Uh, Other departments have no say over the sector. Yet in all other businesses, if I run a business, the Department of Labor will control my labor relations. The Department of Environment will control my environmental impact. You know, the relevant departments, the Department of Social Welfare and so on. So, um, but with mining, because of the pressure of the mining industry on the government, uh, they've created a super law for a department that does not have the capacity to carry out that law. And uh, the consequences, you know, are there any consequences for people not meeting deadlines? Well, I think that uh, Lonman is, 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 is the stark example of where social, the social and labor plan simply was not implemented. Now, the fact of the matter is that the social and labor plan, um, Lonman took over a constitutional responsibility of providing housing, which it never carried out. And for having taken over that responsibility of the state, it can actually be taken to the constitutional court and, and, and people should think about doing that, you know, um, But if you look at any mine in South Africa on Google Earth, you will find an informal settlement next to it because of this thing called the the living out allowance and the conversion of the hostels into accommodation that can no longer accommodate all the workers but only some of the workers. Now, let me tell you what the situation is with migrant workers in Australia in the outback. There you work six days on, six days off. The company flies you into the mine. It provides you with accommodation, a proper flat with a kitchen, with, 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 with bathroom facilities, with everything that is required for decent living. And then it flies you back. You work only two weeks out of four weeks every month, but you get paid the full month salary. In South Africa, it doesn't happen. The same mining companies operate in Australia as what operates in South Africa. In Australia, they don't mine platinum. They mine things like coal and copper, which is measured by the ton rather than than the ounce. So the platinum mines are actually much richer. But South Africa has the lowest cost mines in the world for platinum and chrome and so on. And the reason why it has the lowest cost mines in the world is because of the cheap labor system. And this is something that we need to overcome. It's a legacy of colonialism and apartheid. And then, of course, uh, there are those who feel that uh, perhaps government is not uh, being as uh, as punitive as it ought to be with Lonman. There are those who are of the view that Lonman should have been stripped of its mining license. What's your view on that? And and also just talk to us about the factors uh, that need to be taken into consideration in making such a decision. Well, I think that... um 
when a mine applies for a license, it has to submit a social and labor plan. It has to submit an environmental impact assessment, an environmental management plan, and so on. These things are then agreed to by people in the Department of Mineral Resources before the mining license is issued. So clearly it's a contractual agreement that should be, um, that should be honored by all parties, by the government as well as by the mining corporation itself. So, uh, the Department of Mineral Resources should have regular inspections to, sh- uh, to, uh, to, to show that mining companies are act- actually adhering to their social and labor plans. But if you look at the provincial offices of the Department of Mineral Resources in the Northwest Province, they've got two or three people that are dealing with the social and labor plans of three, 400 mining operations. Now, clearly, those, uh, that is inadequate uh, staffing uh, in the first instance. I worked for the provincial government in the Northwest for 10 years, and in those 10 years I worked in the Premier's office, we actually demanded that DMR changes the staff at its offices in the province three times because uh, we we, we suspected corruption in those offices between mining operations and the people in the offices and so on. And that simply happens because government officials are paid far less than what uh, mine managers and mine uh, uh, officials and so on are paid and it's very easy to bribe them in the process. You know, so... um, it was a headache at the time when I was there, and I'm sure it's an even bigger, bigger headache now because the mining industry has expanded so tremendously uh, in the area of the Platinum Belt. Let's bring in uh, Mr. Joseph Matundra, who is the president of AMCO. Mr. Matundra, thanks for speaking to us this morning. Um, obviously, you know, a very sad day, a very painful memory etched in the memory of all who were able to witness that and also see it reported subsequently. Um, this morning, though, when you look at Marikana, four years on, as we say, has there been any justice for the victims there? Uh, thank you to you and to your listeners and the panel. Uh, I think one, when he looks back, uh, he reminds of the darkest day in our constitutional democracy, where 44 human lives were lost in a week, and such that left many families in anguish. And uh, and such, uh, we need to learn something from it. And then when you look forward, what has happened, little has happened uh, to those victims. One, we did request the government for an apology to the victim, of which the government has been acceded to that. Uh, and two, we requested the government, appeal to the government to declare this day as a public holiday of which that was not met. Thirdly, we requested the government to compensate the victim, of which such was never met. That shows clearly that uh, there is no sign of willingness from the side of the government to close the chapter. The Falam Commissioner, as you know, nothing tangible that came out of Falam Commission. Uh, it's just an extension of other commission, class and commission, of which even today the, uh, the commissioner of police is still suspended. And it's just the darkest day. It just continues. Everyone is crying. I mean, the families are not well looked after. It's, it's AMCO who is shouldering all the burden uh, that was not supposed to. There's no one coming knocking to those families and see how they live uh, to provide something for them. Nothing except AMCO. We are the only union that keeps the light in those families. 
I mean, on. Uh, every year we pay them 12500 uh, uh, towards those families. We assist wherever we can assist. But the government is very quiet about it. And speaking of the 12,500 rand, that was, of course, one of the demands uh, that was central to what ultimately um, played out at Marikana. Today, there's still our miners who are not earning 12,500 rand and people are saying, well, perhaps it wasn't worth all of the lives, all of the strife that went on on that day. How do you respond to that? It's not correct. Uh, from 2013, when AMCO recruited uh, these workers, uh, they were earning 4,600. And uh, if we were to go along the traditional uh, increment uh, by companies uh, with the National Union of Mine Workers of CTIX uh, uh, as a base for increment, those workers today would have been earning about 5,600 or 5,500. But since AMCO took over, from where our fallen heroes uh, left us, we took them from 4,600 to the minimum of 7,900 for the uh, for the basic general worker. So in other words, there is no worker who works on the surface earning less than 7,900, and there is no worker who goes underground as a general, uh, like for instance a sweeper who goes underground. Uh, without uh, receiving the basic salary of 8700 So if AMCO was not there, if those workers didn't talk upon themselves, surely those workers would be still earning less than 6000 in 2016. Ms. Matunjo, how would you characterize uh, AMCO's relationship with Lonmin today? Uh, Lonmin is a company that uh, uh, represents capital. However, Labor Relations Act has to foster that relationship. But however, yes, we are in talking terms uh, with the CEO, Mr. Ben Makara. Uh, we did engage in issues, where, but it's not easy sailing at the end of the day because he represents capital. But I mean, yes, there are those forums we engage. Uh, recently, I requested him to accompany me to those uh, schools in Eastern Cape where the, uh, the children of the victims I mean, are schooling. And then we did point out, I did point out to him to say, even myself and yourself, our children cannot uh, I mean, enter into such schools. So therefore we need to make means. And surely he's acting on that. So to, to be brief is to say, yes, there is communication, there is engagement, there is positiveness moving forward. Let me bring in uh, Chris Molibati, who is a Marikana community activist. Uh, Chris, you are someone who's on the ground in Marikana. And um, after that uh, fateful day in 2012, how have things changed in Marikana, if at all? Well, uh, really, there hasn't been uh, any change in Marikana. Um, on the ground, really. Things are still the same. Workers and communities still living in uh, squalid conditions. People still go without water. Um, the pollution continues. You know, the impact of mining on the lives of these people continues on a daily basis. Um, what we just see here is, um, you know, this kind of a polluted relationship between the government and lawmen. You know, and that uh, lawmen. Uh, 
shifted the responsibility of building the houses to the government. And, you know, to start with on a piece of land that is disputed between the Honorco community and the Bapo community. Now, the allocation of the houses are referred to that. I want to speak to people, and they told me that, you know, uh, the the ANC was using uh, the allocation of housing for political electioneering. And all of this, you know, is partly because of London, you know, every time creating this conflict and, you know, um, despite the fact that it is impacting on on the communities and the workers. So there hasn't been any justice, really. I meet workers who were injured and so on. Nothing is being done, as Mr. Matunia has said. The Falam Commission started, and the truth continued to be distorted throughout the Falam Commission. Up until now, nothing has been done. And we are talking here about the leaders, we are talking here about the orphans, we are talking here about... You know, many families have uh, lost their loved ones. But the thing is, nothing has been done, you know, to to redress uh, all of this issue. On the other hand, then we, 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 we you know, we, 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 we are very sad about uh, this fact. For instance, I mean, it is the very same ANC government that has, you know, they can make a, a lot of noise around the, the Shabville uh, uh, shootings and so on. And we are sitting here with people who have died in the hands of the ANC government. Um, uh, and still they do not want to recognize the fact and, you know, allow this day, declare this day a holiday uh, so that um, people can freely commemorate uh, uh, the death of And speaking of commemorations and the community, what are the feelings, the sentiments of community members on the ground? And also, uh, what are the plans for commemoration today? Well, uh, I won't allow all of the the, the programs because they were done by other people, but the feeling on the ground is that, I mean, it's we still think of that day, you know. We still think of, you know, the day we were seeing the police vehicles passing. We still think of how on that day, you know, we, we got back home only to find that our neighbors, our friends were missing. Yes, you know, it just brings the sad memories of the past that however we have continued to say. Well, we will, as community members, or together with the workers, continue to rally around, you know, and, you know, uh, peacefully commemorate the state. Well, we're talking about Marikana four years on, and we're asking this morning uh, whether there's been justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre and discussing various aspects of that uh, with uh, David van Veek uh, from the Benchmarks Foundation, also uh, Marikana community activist Chris Mulibatze, and, of course, the president of AMCU, Mr. Joseph Matunjwa. We go to news shortly, and uh, when we return, we'll open the lines. We want to hear from you what your views are on what you are hearing uh, 
um, what is being shared with you. Uh, yes, there's been an increase in uh, the uh, salaries of mine workers, as uh, Joseph Matunjo was explaining. David van Veik was explaining to us the uh, squalid conditions, unfortunately, under which miners continue to live and uh, the challenges that they face as a result of that and also comparisons with what happens elsewhere in the world. And of course, from Chris Balibazzi, the community and how they are still reeling, um, even though this fateful, fateful event has come to pass. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. On the Forum at 8 this morning, we are remembering Marikana four years on and we're asking whether there's been justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre. 891 is the calling number. Our guest this morning, David van Veek from the Benchmarks Foundation, Joseph Matunjua, the president of AMKU, and Chris Mulibati, who's a Marikana community activist. And um, we unfortunately are unable to get through to Lonman. Uh, we had hoped that Sue Vey would join us for this conversation to give us their side of the story but unfortunately unable to get that through. And just before I go to the lines, um, an issue that I'm picking up on my Twitter feed here about the the wages. Um, this one from Ed Javas. Javas says, uh, the increase that Matunjwa is talking about is an insult, Sakina. Miners demanded the 12500 uh, And then uh, there's another one that also speaks to this. Um, and uh, it uh, says, uh, none at all. There hasn't been any justice because the ANC has chosen preservation of cheap labor and exploitation of the poor in exchange for shares. So, so, so let's just talk about that for a minute, David. Well, I think that if we talk about the average wages at Lonman now, it's around 8,500 rands, um, which seems to be a, a massive increase from 4,600 rands, as Mr. Matunjwa correctly noted. However, if we look at the exchange rate of the rand against the dollar, uh, at that time it was around 7, 8 rands uh, uh, per dollar. Now it's 15 rands per dollar. So in real terms, in terms of buying power, workers are actually no better off given inflation and given the, the collapse of the value of the rand. So the 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 cost to Lonman is basic has basically remained the same because platinum is sold in dollars globally, but wages and costs of mining are paid in rands locally, and the devaluation of the rand actually pushes down the cost of mining tremendously within the country. Um, you know, and I really, um, you know, I, I, I cannot see why it is that mining companies in South Africa cannot pay a globally equivalent wage for mine workers when they pay in Australia as much as 1.2 and higher for uh, uh, mine workers that have not even got a metric. You know, so um, um, we have put this issue to the Chamber of Mines many, many times to say, and they would always tell us, no, Australian mine workers are more skilled, Australian mine workers are more productive, etc., etc., etc. Now, there's a glut of platinum on global markets, which is why the platinum price is not back at $2,000 uh, an, uh, an ounce. And, the, and, and again, it shows the bad management of the mining industry in South Africa because we've got more than 80% of the world's platinum. We can actually control the flow of platinum onto global markets and we can set the price given that we've got this monopoly over this particular uh, 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 um, uh, mineral. So there's no reason for the platinum price to be as low as it is. During the 2014 strike, the workers were on strike for six months and the platinum price did not change at all during that six months. Despite 60% of the world's platinum not reaching uh, global markets from the mines on the Rustenburg platinum belt. Now, you ask yourself how is it that if, uh, if demand suddenly collapses or supply suddenly collapses like that, 
uh, the price did not go up. And this is because these same companies hoard platinum in places like Switzerland, which they then release onto the market when workers are actually on strike. The moment the strike ended, the platinum price actually went down because now that that platinum came back uh, into the supply chain uh, uh, of platinum and added to the, uh, the the surplus of platinum that is there. Now, if there's a surplus of platinum in the world, it is an indication that South African mine workers are actually very productive. They are overproducing the commodity. At, it, it is exceeding global demand. And that is exactly what needs to be controlled to ensure that uh, we sustain labor levels, uh, we sustain wage levels, and we actually um, um, sustain the benefits of this mineral to our country, but we are actually not doing that, and we are gaining very little from this mineral as a country as a result. Uh, let me just get a word from you on that, uh, Joseph Matunja, before I go to the lines. Yes, thank you. I think uh, the, uh, the caller, whoever was tweeting uh, you to say it's an insult, uh, as Matunja said, with this increase. I don't know if comparing with what. Uh, if the workers were earning 4,600, today they are earning 8,000 grand. So if there was no arm, could those workers wouldn't be where they are today. Firstly. Secondly, we need not to run away from the economic policies and the trade agreements that the South African government enters in with, uh, with those foreign uh, I mean, countries. If the economic policies are just as it is, it will never, never change the lives of the people of South Africa. The, the, the recent United Nations report that everyone maybe knows about it, it's it, it putting clear that the gold sector, the gold sector is smuggling gold in South Africa. The gold sector is embarking on these wrong activities of price fixing, tax evasion. What is the government doing? In our five-month strike, we made some revelations to the government that Lonmin was participating in illegal activities uh, of money, uh, uh, of putting money into Ireland somewhere in U.S. to avoid taxes. What has the government done? Did they investigate Lonmin? Was there any commission that was set up to investigate those things? Nothing. And when workers demand a living wage or AMCOT demand a living wage on behalf of its members, we are seen as a very radical union. We are very insensitive. We are not taking care of the country, the growth of the country, whereas these companies are stealing from us. Feni Lehai says, Mr. Matundra, why does AMCU then approve social labor plans if Lonman is not meeting their targets? We haven't approved any social labor plan with Lonman. In the actual fact, most of these companies you can we can get into to to investigate these companies. We are not signing any uh, social labor plan with these companies. They've got their own ways of how they. Uh, I mean, they, I mean, they are dealing with their social labor plan. We have complained to Department of Mineral and Resources that many of these companies please don't accept their social labor plan because they don't meet their targets. But what is happening? Nothing is happening. The DMR are the one who are the custodian of these minerals. Are the one who's got, I mean, ex, uh, I mean, uh, inspectorate that's supposed to go and check this company whether they are complying. But at the end of the day, I want to say this: that the democracy, in the actual fact, it will never be safe 
uh, if it allows the power of the cap- monopoly capital to be stronger than the democracy itself. That is going to be danger. We've seen it learning, whereby the, the, the capital had more influence to the state. As a result, the workers were gunned down. Let's go to the lines. 891 The question we're asking, has there been justice for the victims of the Marikana massacre four years on? Khutato, you're in Pretoria. Good morning. Morning, uh, Fatina. I, I don't think that there has been uh, you know, uh, justice for... You know, I, I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with your narrow focus on those who were killed by the cops and... For some reason, this society treats the other people who lost their lives during those uh, disturbances, uh, treats them differently. That's my first point. And my second point, basically, is that the, the elephant in the room that we are also not addressing, that how can we take violence out of our labor, you know, disputes to to, 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 unless if we are, uh, enjoy these kinds of things, how can we take out violence? And I'm directing this to, especially to Mr. Matinjo, to make sure that our industrial processes, our industrial action by the workers to enforce their rights is not, I mean, we don't carry no kiris, we don't carry axes, uh, because that's where this violence starts. How can we ensure that uh, we have violence-free uh, labor industrial action? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Khutato. Um Mike is in Newlands. Good morning. Morning, Eske, and good morning to the panel. No, we certainly haven't seen justice, and, the, and there's, there's two reasons for that. The first one is that uh, really the one person who should be on your your talk show this morning is the president of our country. He appointed personally Ria Piecha, who, when I asked her on radio, I said, "How are you going to run a police force? You might get yourself into big trouble because you will not, as a parachute unit, as a general, um, you were nothing beforehand. You became an instant general. How will you be able to understand?" When an order, a police instruction is given, how will you evaluate that? So the answer to that was, no, she'll have good advisors. I said, yes, but if you get bad advice, how will then you know it's bad advice if you have no experience? And then I think six months, four months later, we had the Marikana tragedy. So that goes straight up to the president. So Mr. President Zuma, Mr. Zuma should be on your show because he's the main culprit here. That's the first problem. And we need to, because the real issue here is the Marikana miners. They're sitting there. They've been neglected completely by the government. But that also speaks to Lonman and speaks to all the mines, which I'm sure are breaking rules all over the place. But because we've, our mind is taken away from that and we've got a government that seems to be in bed with the, with, with, with the mine, mining houses, it, it just goes on. We have the same debate every year. We had it last year, and we're going to have it next year. But sadly, it's the government that we voted back into power just recently, and it's the government we sit with now. So until such time as we recognize that fact, we as the people must continue to, 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 to unfortunately uh, reap the rewards of a very poor vote. But maybe next next year we've got another vote in three years' time, and maybe things will change. Thanks so much, sir. Thanks, okay. Mike. Uh, let's go to uh, Bonangele, who's also in Cape Town. Good morning, Bonangele. Come again. Welcome. Hi, is that uh, SK? Yes, it is. Yes, thank you very much for taking my call. You understand? Uh, in fact, all right, my, 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 my input to explain this whole thing. Uh, when it comes to me, this thing to be treated politically, I'm absolutely disturbed, and it, there's no justice done to these people, honestly speaking. That's my point. And especially with a... With a... With a with a government led by the ANC, treating these people like this, totally unfair, with us watching from where we are, 
they treat all these things as you as if as if nothing happened. I am one of those who are totally disturbed and disappointed with the way they are being treated. That I, that I can tell you. That's my view. And I, I say with Matunza and the others, they must go on fighting for the rights of the people. But comes down the line. You know, with these things of these people, the way they treat them, it's something that never happened. You know, with what Judas Malema said long time ago, I totally agree with him to say, with the ruling party, that is the ANC, to treat as if, like I'm saying, you know, I'm a bit angry, angry in the sense that they tend to forget, you know, they tend to, with, with things that happened during the apartheid period. But we must remember those things, you know, the victims. But with what happened with us now, with the government who claims to be the government of the people, and the people are treated like this, it's totally un- not fair. All right. Thank you so much, Wanagele um, in Cape Town. Um Penny in Emelaseni, good morning. Morning, how are you? And well, thanks to you. Yes, yes. Look, uh, I, I'm surprised that your, your guests are not answering the question of the gentleman. That uh, what about those who were killed by the protesters? We seem to be focusing on those who were shot by the. They police. haven't had if, opportunity to respond yet. We're still taking calls. They should, yes. But again, uh, if I was a police officer, seeing that the other people were killed by the protesters and holding a gun, what would I have done? Obviously, my first thought would be protect myself. So we shouldn't focus on the police uh, killing these workers. We also need to check the unions not preventing people from carrying weapons and killing others. And Matunja knows very well that he's also a capitalist because he's getting business through his wife in these mining companies. He knows that. It's not an accusation. He must check for himself. The achievement of 8,000, it's fine. It's fair. But how do you go uh, demanding 12.5 from 4,000? Do you think that is an achievable goal? Obviously, you will, you will entice workers to be violent because they are, they are targeted now with the 12.5. And you know very well it's not achievable. So Ah, there goes Mkloni Penny, but I think he made his point. Um, uh, let's also just uh, take two more calls and then I'll get the panel to respond. Uh, Dave in Ikora, good morning. Hi, SK, how are you? Well, and you? Uh, fine, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I stay in a village that's one of the uh, places where the Marikana miners live. Um, I have friends who are on the copy that day, but luckily weren't injured or killed uh, on this terrible day. Um, I, I, my problem is that the debate is always so polarized. It's, it's the evil mining company on the one hand and the poor starving worker on the other hand, and it seems very hard ever to find where the middle ground is in this conversation. If you listen to um, your, your panelists today, you hear one story, and then on Friday we'll listen to Martin Kremer, and it will be a totally different story. So it's really to, to it's a pity Ben Magara isn't there from Lonman to actually participate but i have two questions for your for your panelists which will help me understand better what's going on if you listen to martin creamer he says that what happens in australia and canada is you have one man earning a hundred thousand rand a month with a machine doing what 10 men in south africa do for ten thousand rand a month so if we want to move to those higher salaries we have to essentially retrench nine people and give what the one is left a machine 
And I'm living in a community where the men over 50 years old, almost all of them worked on the platinum mines. And now the young guys in their 20s, hardly any, one in 10 maybe, is working on the mines. And so they're stuck here with no jobs and no opportunities. So I'm afraid if we do go for this, this mechanized route, are we not dooming these young guys to, to no employment opportunities on those mines? And then the second question was um, around the, the, um, the housing um, when I speak to people here, the, I know that miners get the, the 1,800 rand living out allowance, um, which is supposed to pay for, for housing in the, in the, in the area surrounding the mine. And some miners claim that you can rent a, a RDP house for between 500 and 1,000 rand a month, but then that other miners choose to rent shacks for 200 so they can send their additional 1.6 home to their families. So I just wanted to clarify that, whether that's in fact the case. Thank you so much, uh, Dave. And uh, let's hear from Adam in Durban. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. So, you know, I think this uh, whole, you know, Marakana has been a, a terrible tragedy. But when I look at it, so AMCO was just formed. They wanted recognition and they were fighting for increasing the numbers. End of the day, after Marakana, many policemen were killed. Many miners that wanted to go to work were killed. Many other innocent people were killed. Then, end of the day, when the strike was finished, the miners did not get the 12,500. But how many miners were retrenched after that because the economy suffered? These people have brought the economy almost to a halt where our growth would have been gone to zero. If anything, they have caused more harm and they have not helped the miners. Now, what are they doing about the miners that don't have jobs? And what, this is... what are they doing about the miners that lost their jobs? Okay. Thank you so much, Adam. Okay. Uh, let me start with... Uh, da- uh, David, let me start with you before I go to Mr. Matunja. Okay. I'll, I'll leave the questions about the union to Mr. Matunja, mm-hmm. only to say that before the strike, um, AMCO did not actually represent those workers. And during the strike... Um, it's only after the strike that that workers went to AMCO. And the issue was not really about uh, NUM or AMCO. The issue was about the wages of workers, particularly rock drill operators. Um, um, the mine and the, and the workers approached the NUM and they refused to participate because they said they'd already had an, had an agreement. And then they went to AMCO and AMCO said, okay, we will listen to you. That's how AMCO got into that particular situation. But in any case, with regard to mechanization, I think it's an important question and of course Australian. Most Australian mines are open cast mines where they use graders and trucks. Now a, a truck driver in, in, in Australia gets more than a 1.2 million. Okay, you can check on Wall Street stats and so on. Now a Scania truck and a Volvo truck in Australia requires exactly the same skills as it does in South Africa, but a truck driver in South Africa does not even get one-tenth of what the Australian worker gets, gets less than a 100,000. So that whole argument about mechanization is a nonsense argument. In any case, South African mines have been designed for cheap labor, so the circumference of the shaft is too narrow to take machines down whole. They have to break up the machines and then reassemble them down below. And Lonman has tried mechanization in the past. There are graveyards of mechanized tools that didn't work because the conditions underground in South 
South Africa are very, very different from Australia. In any case, a South African mine worker is very, very productive. We wouldn't have a surplus of platinum on, on the global market if South African mine workers were not, in fact, productive. Now, the reason why there's unemployment in mining and why is not because of the strikes or anything like that. It's because there is too much minerals on the global market. There's a commodity slump. And the commodity slump is because mining companies, monopolies, have actually overproduced the mineral and flooded global markets with copper, with platinum, and so on. And as a consequence, we now have this glo global overproduction of commodities and hence retrenchments in the mining industry. And interestingly about retrenchments, Lonman offered retrenchment packages to its workers last year and so on. And the workers tell us that it wasn't the older workers that asked for the packages. The younger workers said, we can't work for this company. So they could not even use natural attrition to retrench workers. The, the young workers said, we don't want to work here, we want to leave. You know, and so uh, uh, the, the, whole, the whole process of retrenchment actually backfired. Uh, Mr. Machunjo, let me come to you. Um, some scathing allegations there about you being a capitalist, therefore you cannot uh, be an honest broker in this situation. Who's the honest broker? It's NUM <laughs> that uh, were colluding <laughs> with the state and, uh, and the capital to kill the mine workers at the mountain. But just to be more focused, not to be derailed with this one, he touched on my family. That is not true. My wife doesn't do any business with any mining house. You can check to see for whatever. They, I mean, they, I mean, there is no such. It's just a personal attack. And then that, how can the the violence be taken out uh, from the workplace? I think that question you must ask the deputy president of the state, Cyril. Uh, that how can the violence can be taken out? Because he is the one who was saying. The state must act in a pointed way to the workers. Three, how the violence can be taken out is when the politicians are rooted out in the mining businesses because that results into a conflict of interest. I think this comrade must go back to his constituency and advocate such. So the other thing, the, the fourth point is a separation of powers that needs to be. Uh, this uh, toxic relationship of Lonmin, the state, and NUM resulted into this massacre. As a result, the, the, the workers were not violent. The workers were not violent. If you look at the railway line where they were coming from to the copy, is the police who started shooting the workers after an agreement with the then uh, provincial uh, commissioner, I think it's Mr. Mbembe. There was an agreement when they lived there. When they were in the field, is when the police surrounded them and started throwing tear gas to them. And then there was that, uh, I mean, stampede. So it's not true that the workers attacked the police. Workers never attacked the police. It was a systematically arranged, agreed way of how to destabilize the power of the working class. The, the other point that, I mean, I, I, I would like to make in this, the workers were not only facing loan mean as they were demanding, but they were facing the state. It, there was a revelation that has emerged that Bernard Mkwena was working for the NIA, the national intelligence of the state, within the mine. So therefore, I mean, they were trying to crush down the, the power of the working class to protect the capitalists. 
So those things have to be taken into context. As a result, when we were for, we were approached to sign the the, the framework, uh, mining framework stability. Uh, I mean, I mean stability framework in union building. We pointed out to the state that government, AMCO will never sign an agreement if there is no clause that states clear that there mustn't be any politician who's got an interest in the mining. And the reason why we said that is because of the experience that we've seen at Lonmi. So therefore, they mustn't try to push a blame. The government is fully responsible of killing the workers because they were protecting the monopoly capital. That is it. Because there was no transformation in terms of the economic policies of this country. The people who were sitting at Captain Park from 1991, Codessa 1, Codessa 2, they must come out clear and tell the world or tell the country that what is it that they have compromised in terms of the economy, in terms of the land. Then those issues will address these imbalances that we are facing. This knee-jerk approach that we see our government is doing, it will never give the, the people of this country what they are expecting to get. And then um, many people saying uh, one of the things that we seem to uh, forget that we don't pay sufficient attention to is, of course, the lives of the police officers as well. Can I well. respond to that? Yes, please. Yes. With regard to that, yes, AMCO established a trust fund. In that trust fund, we included NUM, we included the victims, which were the members of NUM, we included the police. For that case, AMCO was showing that was embracing and recognizing those who were killed before the massacre. So that is what we could do. The question should be, what is the government doing to recognize those 44 people? Nothing. Well, I just want to give a quick one there, um, a moment there to Chris Mulebatsi. And, uh, you know, you listening to all of this, you live in Marikana and uh, you live with the consequences of all these decisions that are made and all the actions that uh, eventually transpire. So what's your parting shot for us? Well, thank you a lot. Yeah, you know, uh, I just want to say a simple thing. People talking about the killings of the police and so on. Yeah, I understand that, but we, we really need to understand that everywhere where there is mining, the killing of the people can be in Brazil, it can be anywhere, you understand. This is one sector that goes with violence, that makes profit out of violence, you know, Mesonotrinia stated. First and second day of peaceful protest by workers without any violence, though they were carrying not carries and so on. In the first bullet, and then violence started occurring. So, that I just want to say, you know, at the end of the day, you must hold Lonely accountable for all this. If Lonely is a corporate citizen in this country, then Lonely must behave like a citizen. Lonely must have respect for the citizens of this country. Well, we're going to leave it there.
Unfortunately, Chris, uh, that's all we have time for this morning. Chris Mulebati, who is a community activist in Marikana. We also spoke to Joseph Matundra, the president of AMCU, and uh, David Van Veik from the Benchmarks Foundation. And just before we go, it took a while because we had a problem with the system. But uh, this morning in our competition, um, our winner for today is Vusi. And uh, he got 64 of the votes. Chris in Durban got one and Mike got 10 of the votes. Uh, so today's winner is Vusi with 64 votes. But remember, the 5,000 Rand will be awarded at the end of the week on Friday. So keep calling, keep voting, keep listening and participating in uh, this particular competition. The grand prize, 80,000 Rand at the end of the month. That's all for this morning. Thank you so much for your great participation to the production team for making sure it went out loud and clear. We'll be back tomorrow uh, between 6 and 9 right now. Time for news with Greg Hose.